Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Matthew Denby from Who Magazine. Welcome to the second episode of Binge List, your weekly breakdown of what's binge-worthy on Aussie TV. Here you'll find the lowdown on the best shows from streaming and linear TV, and we've also got TV experts Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon here to talk us through it all. Welcome back, Gavin and Claire. Oh, thanks for having me. We made it to episode two. Well, Joan Lindsay's classic Australian novel, Picnic Hanging Rock, was a favourite high school read for a lot of us. And of course, everyone loves Peter Weir's classic 1975 film version. I certainly do. So what did happen to Miranda and her friends from Appleyard College when they disappeared on that fateful Valentine's Day back in 1900? The question was always going to be a lot more interesting than the answer. It was such a good question, and now we're asking it yet again, with Foxtel bringing the story to TV on May 6th. Interestingly, all six episodes will be available at the same time on Foxtel's on-demand service, meaning you can binge it all immediately or watch it weekly in its Sunday 8.30 time slot. You've seen it, Claire and Gavin. What did you think? I loved it. I actually wasn't thinking I'd love it. I don't know if you're the same, Gav. Like, I was a big fan of the 70s movie, mostly because of the pan pipes (laughs) and the Miranda. And the white dresses. Probably like you guys, I read it. I found it really captivating, the film version. It was just pretty magic. It was Peter Weir. It was Australian. I kind of had quite low expectations to be totally honest. But the first episode hooked me straight away, right from the opening shot. And it just feels different. And it's basically, I've only seen the first episode, so I can't say what direction it's going to go in, how true it's going to be to the book or the film version. There's something very captivating about that first episode that just makes me really want to know where it's going to go. What do you reckon, Gab? Yeah, definitely. I was intrigued and and I want to see the rest of it. And yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Picnic um, originally, or and so I was like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> Not that fussed about it, but yeah, it, it's definitely really great to look at and really intriguing. It's got a bit of a Baz Luhrmann feel almost um, in parts in that first episode. Obviously, it's it's introducing a whole new young cast of characters, and what I kind of love about it is that, as well as a few quite well quite well known names in the cast, Natalie Dormer playing Mrs. Appleyard. And Yale Stone, who plays one of the teachers, obviously people will know her from Orange is the New Black. It introduces quite a few younger cast who are the girls who people probably won't necessarily have known. Samara Weaving, who if you've watched Smilf on Stan. Or Home and Away. Or Home and Away. (laughs) Obviously, Home and Away. So she's quite well known. But the other three central girls, which is Lily Sullivan as Miranda, Madeline Madden as Marion Quaid and Inez Curo as Sarah Weyburn. They're all relatively sort of up and coming people. Lily, people might remember her from Romper Stomper. She played one of the anti-fash people. She is quite amazing looking. Uh, And she's a real shapeshifter. She looks totally different in both those shows. She reminds me of Alicia Vikander. Oh, yeah. She's, yeah, she's got a little bit about. That's how you say her name. 
Yeah, she does have a little bit of it, but she's actually, I think, one of the country's most exciting new talents. She was totally underutilised in Robber Stopper, which, to be honest, I look, I really didn't love that. I didn't even finish it. I got up to episode five and, like, bailed out. But there's something about the way that she portrays Miranda and has the same kind of quality as the woman who played Miranda in the 70s version because, Matt, yeah. you're a massive fan of that version. Obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. <laughs> I loved, loved it at the time and I love it still. Yeah, it, it feels different and it'll be really interesting to see if they go in a similar direction to the book and the film. But I actually kind of think that maybe it's going to go off in a really different way and that's what I'm most excited about. It'll be interesting that they're dropping all six episodes because to me it feels like you have to watch, you, you're going to want to watch it all to find out what happens. To, to, to find the answer to that mystery. You, meant, you mentioned the young cast. I think they really do hold their own against someone like Natalie Dormer, yeah. Game of Thrones, the Tudors. She's done such great roles. In, and you in just want to watch her when she's on screen, She's right? amazing. I, I love her. I interviewed her once for the Tudors and she was such a great interview and, you know, didn't take herself seriously, had a bit of a laugh because the Tudors in Game of Thrones are pretty juicy roles and, you know, yeah, lots totally. of gratuitous sex and all that kind of stuff. And then she had a good laugh about it. Um, Natalie Dormer is fantastic in this. She really, you know, every scene she's in, you can't take your eye off her. But a lot of the adult cast, you're going to recognise them from Anna McGahn, Sabella Bard, Yale Stone you mentioned. And yeah, Yale has never met a zany accent that she doesn't love. Oh, she loves the zany accent. Doesn't she? She's particularly Oka in, in this. She's kind of almost comically so. Uh, almost comically, yeah. Um, and on uh, some male actors too, Don Haney, Marcus Graham, Johnny Pazbolski. So it's Really going to be. He oh, was in McLeod's, wasn't he, yeah, Johnny? Yeah. And Play School. Yeah. There's one for the mums watching. So you're going to be watching it going, oh, there's that guy. Oh, there, there's her. So yeah. Lo- lots of lots of famous faces. But, yeah, Natalie Dormer is is very much the star. Do you know who really stood out for me, though, is um the girl who plays Sarah, who has a lot of scenes with Natalie Dorman's character. She is played by a young 14-year-old actress called Inez Curo, who I don't think has really done anything before this. I was really lucky enough to go out to actually to go out to The Rock for the launch of this with Foxtel and she was there with her mum. She's she's this tiny diminutive little little person. She is fantastic and totally holds her own in in the scenes that I've seen with her and Natalie Dormer, which I think kind of hints at the fact that she's going to be one to watch. And you um, talked to to the producers on set about the sets and the, and the costumes and all that, didn't you, as well? Yeah, I did, and, and that to me was really interesting. So they filmed at a number of different locations around Victoria. They filmed all of the outdoor stuff at Picnic at the, at the Rock uh, in Mount Macedon. And it, it has a – so they bust a whole lot of us journos out there um, to have a little wander around. And I have to say it has a very eerie feel it was kind of really great that they did that because it really adds to the atmosphere. As so much of the of the film is about the way the girls interact with the natural environment and that very much comes across in the first episode. But the actual sets of uh, Apple Yard College I think was shot at Werribee Mansion and I, I actually recently stayed there for a wedding. It's such a beautiful building. It's this old kind of Edwardian mansion just about – 45 minutes outside of Melbourne. It's got a really creepy, eerie vibe about it too. Like it, it's, it, the, the costumes, just everything about it is sumptuous. It's it's really beautifully shot. They've done a really great job, I reckon. So, so many times when I was watching the first episode, it, it would pause and then linger on a shot 
and you just look at it and go, that's really framed beautifully. And you can tell that every, almost every frame, I'm sure they agonised over just getting everything right in its place. Well, it's interesting you say that because I was chatting to Jo Porter, who's the executive producer of the series, and she was talking about this one, the, the whole series starts with a shot of Natalie Dormer's character standing backlit against a window and it's got this amazingly beautiful orange light and Joe said that as soon as they got that frame I think it was one of the first things they shot they just knew instantly that they had something special and that basically they sort of framed the series around the kind of feel that this one shot had and when you see it on air you you'll know what I'm talking about it's 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 absolutely beautiful it is, it is. So the question is for, for all of us, are you going to binge or are you going to wait and watch week by week? Matt, what are you going to do? Look, if I love it and I have a feeling I'm going to, I'm going to watch it all in one huge binge. I can't hold back on something that I enjoy. And as I said, I am obsessed with this story. I love it. It's a, a, an amazing Australian classic. And if they get it right, I'll be thrilled. And if they get it wrong? I'll be out. You'll be outraged. I will be. I will be. Look, I'm told that it is quite a faithful, at least to the tone and and, uh, the spirit of the book, which would be amazing. I am very attached to some of the portrayals in the the Peter Weir film, especially uh, the original Mrs. Appleyard, Rachel Roberts. She will always be Mrs. Appleyard (laughs) to me. But, you know, maybe I could be proved wrong. So, yes, I'm very excited to see how this is going to turn out. And the other big question is, are there pan pipes? Do you want to know the answer? There's no pan pipes. Yeah, I I didn't hear any. No. But I am also going to binge. Are you going to binge, Claire? I'm totally binging. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. Well, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Well, perhaps not. Uh, It was one of the most groundbreaking shows of the 80s, and now Roseanne is back, back, back. The most successful reboot by far of the recent crop of returning classic shows is rated through the roof in the US, Guys, why do you think it's working and uh, what can we expect as the series progresses? I think it's working because the characters work so well and the dynamic between them, you know, between Roseanne and Jackie, between Roseanne and Dan, Roseanne and the kids, Becky and Darlene, those dynamics are still exactly the same as they were, but they still somehow work all these years later. So I think they got it right the first time and they haven't strayed away from those dynamics between the characters and and that's the core of the show. So I think that is is a big head start over some of these shows that that are coming back that um you know rebooting mad about you now. It's like vomit. Why? Why do we need whereas you know Roseanne works because family never changes. You always have the same dynamic with your family. <laughs> And, um, and, and, you know, this, this uh, reboot proves that. It really felt to me like it hadn't skipped a beat, that it was back there in the late 90s. I don't know, is it just me or was the, is the couch the same? I, I love that is. they've got the same couch, the or same recreate, phone. Right. I, I have some information there. It, it looks remarkably like the original couch, but it is not. It is a oh. replica. <gasps> The, uh, the original couch was not available for shooting. It's, it's in private hands. They thought it was in the Smithsonian of all places, oh, but it wasn't. Gosh. It's in private hands. And the owner would not release it because they had spent so much money buying it, they didn't want it to be ruined. No way. Uh, Matt Denby, I love that you have that little snippet of information. Look, I will confess that I did enjoy Roseanne in its original run and I have really enjoyed what I've seen so far. Like a lot of people, I was a little nervous about the, all the pre-publicity about 
uh, the appearance of Mr. Donald Trump, or at least his his name and his political presence. But I thought that was handled wonderfully. It's a great source of conflict, and it's also um, a reflection of reality. I mean, the Connors are America's favourite blue-collar family, and we all know that Mr. Trump did extremely well across the Rust Belt. I, I totally agree with you. They did deal with it really really well. But I find it a little bit tricky to watch Roseanne these days, knowing her personal politics. I've always really liked Roseanne, the show. I haven't always really liked Roseanne, the person. (laughs) So for me, it took me a little while to kind of get over some of the things that I know that she said off off camera. And she's been like, some of it's just, I don't know, I'm it's ridiculous, really, and a, a totally not views that I myself have. Kind of once you get swept up in it, and if you can put that aside, it actually is a really well-written first couple of episodes, beautifully acted, and just the dynamic. You're so right, Gavin, with, with all the returning characters. And can we just talk for a minute about the fact that the girl who plays Darlene's daughter looks exactly like Darlene in the 80s? Yeah, that that's that a really great bit of casting. Um, I, I think the, I think the new kids um, that yeah, they brought good. in are, are, are really great. On on the Trump thing, you know, this isn't the first show to tackle Trump. The Good Fight does it every single week, but um, I think it does well at, at showing both sides of the debate and the strengths in their arguments, but also the flaws in their arguments. Like having Jackie as kind of loopy, even though she's the Hillary supporter, and yeah, and, you know, so she's she's. In her pussy hat. Yes. She's, she's on, you know, in my opinion, the right side with the politics, but then she's, you know, she's She's wacky. like kind of annoying about yeah. it. Yeah. So no, nothing's clear cut. Everything's a little bit complicated. So, yeah, I, I like the way also in the second episode they moved on to a new topic, which was um, Darlene's son, Mark, and him wearing, well, quote, unquote, girls' clothes to school. So I like the fact that then it's not going to be Trump week after week. That could have been really hackneyed and felt really forced, but I think they actually did it quite well. Do you, what do you reckon? I think really so. right on, right? Like yeah. it could have been a bit like. Well, look, uh, Roseanne in its original run was a remarkably progressive and liberal yeah, show. Was. Um, they had a lot of gay storylines. They had anti-racism storylines. Uh, Roseanne, before her transformation into a Trump supporter, was uh, was uh, very left-wing. In many ways, she still remains left-wing. She's quite a nuanced and uh, unusual character. I thought the the storyline with the the little boy who was uh, gender fluid in his dressing was very well executed. A lot of fun. They weren't be- beating anyone over the head with politics. It was yeah. just handled in a sensitive and interesting way. A lot of fun. I am also really looking forward to seeing the return of Johnny Galecki. What about you guys? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Like he's Darlene's daughter's dad, right? Would I be right in assuming that? Well, we're assuming that. That's certainly what you would think. I don't know about you guys, but when I was a teenage girl, (laughs) (laughs) which obviously you guys weren't, but uh, I had a massive thing for David. For Johnny Galecki. For Johnny Galecki. Yeah, like him and Darlene were like couple goals, you know, before that was a thing. Spoiler alert, he is returning for one episode this season, Um, maybe more episodes in future seasons, and the show has been renewed. I have seen some clips of his return. It looks like a lot of fun. As we all know, he's more than busy with Big Bang Theory, so a full-time return doesn't seem likely, but... That's yes. why I could never watch Big Bang because it, in my head he was always David, like he was <laughs> never ever. But I guess for the majority of viewers, he probably is that guy from Big Bang and not the other way around. Maybe 
And what we've seen so far, they haven't mentioned David. They've, there's been a lot. Yeah, they've, they haven't. They've handled everything in terms of exposition quite well. Some of it was clunky or oh, ever since Darlene and her kids have been living in the yeah. house with us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are a couple of lines <laughs> that were kind of clunky, but they did handle, you know, the, la- the lottery win, Dan's death, the book that Roseanne wrote. The fourth child. I'd completely oh, forgotten. Yeah. Jerry. That, that, that Roseanne Why, and Dan had he? a fourth kid. Well, they, they did reference that he's... He's, he's not- working on a fishing boat off Alaska. <laughs> and uh, this Never fishing, to be seen again. Yeah, this fishing boat is notoriously hard to reach by telephone, they mentioned. Yeah, so ma- yeah. they're, they're telling us now, don't expect any Jerry. What's that show on Foxtel where they like go out the, about the deep sea fishermen? Deadliest Catch. Deadliest Catch. Yes. I like to think that he's out on some Deadliest Catch yeah. trawler somewhere. But they did handle all that very well. But, yes, they not- notably didn't mention David. Oh, my God, I can't wait. Guys, what did you think about having both Beckys on the show at the same time? Love it. Oh, genius. How great is it and how how great is it the way they managed to kind of interweave it into the plot and, um, yeah, I, I love both the Beckys. Like I, cu- I couldn't pick a favourite Becky. I think, I think they were – it was necessary to have them both in some capacity. I seem to remember back in the original run there was like a scene where they both appeared. It was like, I don't know if it was a dream oh, sequence really? or if it was just like <laughs> a, a, you know, one of those when the credits are rolling at the end one of those little gags where they had both Becky's pop up or so. Anyway, so I think they have obviously referenced the fact in the past that two actresses have played Becky, but having them both as regular Carol, well, one's recurring, Playing one's regular. Playing against each other because they're going to be in all each other's scenes, right? Genius. So funny. I loved it. What do you reckon, Matt? Love it too. I mean, I think the way that they've resolved some of the issues from the original series has been genius, especially deaths that no longer occurred, that sort of thing. I think the writing's amazing. Apparently Wanda Sykes is one of the main writers on the oh, show. is she? She is, which has shocked a lot of people, but, you know, she's a very talented lady and I think that I detect her humour all through the show. I think shows now that are finishing will think very carefully about how they end oh, their series. Because yeah. Will and Grace had the same problem in that, you know, Will and Grace had kids who went to college together or, or something in the, in the final episode and they basically just went, yeah, that never happened. <laughs> so I think it's a real problem. You don't want to create these things because everything's going to be rebooted eventually, right? So don't create a problem for your eventual reboot. I don't think you can go into creating a show thinking about how it might come back in 20 years' time. That's just weird. Isn't that Hollywood? Oh, well, I guess so. Well, I'm going to continue to binge this show. I think it's really funny. What do you think, guys? Agreed. Yep, binge. Laugh out loud funny. Yep, love it. Binge List. Brought to you by Who Magazine. Now, moving from laughter to tears or perhaps terror, uh, Wentworth has been a huge success for Foxtel and now it's airing from season one on the ABC. I'm a massive fan, and with the sixth season coming up later in the year on Showcase, I could not be more excited. Claire, I'm so jealous you visited the set. What can you tell us? Oh, best day ever, Matt Denby. I too am a super mega fan. Probably we could actually dedicate this whole entire episode to just like the thousand and one ways that we love this show. Oh, um, God, yeah. So, yeah, so I went out. Okay, okay. So I went out onto the set of Wentworth. The show's filmed in Melbourne where I'm based out in an old TAFE building actually in Altona and you rock up at this building and there's the gates there and it's basically Wentworth <laughs> and you go in and like they did the whole thing for the launch where, you know, we were like met at the gate by Jake and Will at the front door and I got frisked. Oh, my God, I got frisked by Will. It was the best day of my entire life. 
and then you go into the building and there's a real x-ray machine. So basically they've made it look like the art department on this show is phenomenal. They've made it look completely realistic. It, it feels, it smells, it looks like a women's prison. Wow. It's unbelievable. But just the level of detail, like, so I was having a really good snoop around as any super fan was, like, like I wandered into, like, the adult education library and, and then I was, like, looking at the phones that they all use. And even on the little digital dial on the phone, it says Wentworth Correctional Centre. And then when you pick up the receiver, it says credit $7.60. Like, that's the attention to detail. And, like, the food, I sat next to Sigrid Thornton at lunch. Listen to me. I'm like, I'm full. You can tell how excited I am. And I was and I was like, so what's the actual food like that you have to eat? And she's like, oh, it's as bad as it would be in a prison. Like, we <laughs> have to eat it. And, you know, those facial expressions, like, that is us eating this disgusting prison food. Yeah. It was unreal. Now, the end of last season uh, contained perhaps one of the most horrifying, horrific, disturbing <sighs> scenes that I've ever seen in Amazing. an Australian drama. We're all dying to know if Joan the Freak Ferguson survives being buried alive. Do you have any insights? Okay, so that was my main question when I went out on set because um, all of the cast were there. But Pamela Rabe, who plays the Freak, was not and so the first thing I asked everyone was like interviewing Kate Atkinson, who plays Vera. I'm like, so is the freak dead? She's like, you have to wait and see. And then I interviewed Robbie, who plays Will, and I'm like, is the freak dead? And he's like, you'll have to wait and see. And so, look, guys, I can't give you the definitive answer, but I'm thinking if anyone can dig themselves out of a coffin from six feet under, it's Joan. Yep, yep. Now, how good is the writing on that show? I'm pretty jaded after having watched years and years and years of drama, but I was shocked senseless by that scene. Look, I can, for people listening, I can I can attest to the fact that Matt Demby is is a cynical fellow. <laughs> I'm, I, I think it would be fair to say, Matt, that it would take it takes a lot to shock you. That's true. I'm quite shocked to hear that you were shocked. Very but shocked. But I totally agree. Like this show is up there with the very best in international drama. I honestly truly believe that. That it's been sold to 140 territories and it it has the ability to do what so much other Aussie dramas can't, and that is to continually surprise. The writing is phenomenally good. It's so great. And the characters, I mean, like, it's just almost impossible to know what direction it's going to go off in next. Yeah. Now, Gavin, you're a bit of a, a dipper with Wentworth. You're not really a regular viewer. I wouldn't even call myself a dipper. I watched the first episode and see, this is the problem in, in working in entertainment magazines. Um, I hate spoilers. So I don't want to know, even if, even if I watched Wentworth, I wouldn't want to know if the freak was alive or not until I watched it. Until you got up to speed. <laughs> That's right. So I watched the first episode of season one, which is on ABC now, and uh, then I had to read a story when I was in uh, in, in at a magazine which revealed the end of season one and who had killed who, or I can't even remember now what it was, Danielle Cormac's character killed someone. And I thought, oh, well, I don't need to watch it now. I know what happens. And I know how much everyone loves it. It's such a cop-out to think like that because I honestly don't think that it matters. <laughs> don't hold back, Cliff. Oh, sorry, sorry, say what you mean. <laughs> no, but do you agree with me, Matt? Like- Look, I, I, the reason I love Wentworth, uh, apart from those shocking moments, it's a very much a performance-driven show. You can get so much pleasure out of just watching the performances and the plots almost become sep- secondary, to me at least. So, I mean... There have been so many amazing performances by the actors in this show. I just can't get enough of it. And, Gavin, 
you need to watch it. it yeah, it, it is on my list to go back and revisit. And and but I think I've, obviously I don't even remember what was spoiled for me because I, I can't remember the, the plot twist now. At the time, I just thought, oh, well, this whole first season is going to lead up to this big reveal and I know what the big reveal is. So Yeah, but can I just say that if you were somebody who hasn't ever watched before, you could actually watch this first episode of the most recent season, which I have had the pleasure of seeing. And actually, what you wouldn't you wouldn't be you, you'd kind of pick it up. There's actually three new characters that are joining the show. There's Susie Porter, who isn't in the first episode back. There's um, Leah Purcell, who is just fabulous. And uh, Radaway Hick, R- Radi, I think people call her, um, she's this fantastic Indigenous actor, which people will remember from Clever Man. She she joins the cast as well, and her and Leah Purcell's characters are quite intimately connected, and you get a sense of that in the first episode. Like it, the thing with Wentworth is, is that they they change it up every season, and I think that's the beauty of it. So you actually can start watching even if you haven't watched from the beginning, because. It's the beauty of the writing and also the the strength of the actors, Leah Purcell and Rati. They're just fantastic. They, like I, I don't know anything about their characters. They're completely new. Every they're completely new to everyone. But there's something about them and the interaction they have in that first episode that makes you really want to know what happens. So does that mean, Claire, that you know if the freak is alive? I'm not even going to answer that because <laughs> I I want people to watch the first episode. And I'll have not, to wait and see and not have any idea. So I'm actually going to refrain from answering that question. My opinion: no one can bury that much talent. Totally binging. Binge list brought to you by Who Magazine. With so much great TV on at the moment, we're confronted with that eternal question: to binge or not to binge? Gavin, I believe you've watched in. Posters season two. I have, and I feel like the ads and posters for this Stan series have been everywhere. Everywhere I turn, it's on a bus shelter or billboard or something. So I thought, okay, I'm going to watch this show. They're, they're hitting me over the head with it, and so I'm going to watch it. And it's quite fun. Like Alias and Orphan Black, it features a female lead, played by Israeli-born, US-based actress, Inbar Lavi, who gets to play a bunch of different characters. Her main role is Maddie. Maddie's a con artist and she takes on a whole range of personas as she rips people off. Think wigs and accents, all that kind of fun stuff. The first of many twists comes when three of her marks, two men and a woman who are all married to different versions of her, team up to track her down. She's ripped off their money, they want it back. So it's lighter in tone than Alias or Orphan Black, probably more along the lines of something like Hustle and it's very watchable. Lots of humour, good plot twists and turns. It's the type of series you could binge in a weekend without even noticing. So I would say binge. And Imposter Season 2 is on Stan. Now, Claire, I believe you've seen Season 2 of The Santa Clarita Diet on Netflix. Yeah, it's great. Um, This show is wackadoodle day. It's so weird. I don't know if you guys have seen Season 1. Season 2 takes Season 1 and then knocks it out of the park. It is so great. It's Five-star, excellent. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, basically this show is all about a suburban real estate agent played by Drew Barrymore who turns into a human flesh-eating undead person, i.e. a zombie, but not really a zombie. Look, the second series is about her and her family's quest to continue to lead a normal life all while Drew is killing and eating people, which is just so hilarious in itself. This show could have been a one-joke one, one joke 
show really. I mean, like it is pretty funny watching Drew Barrymore tuck into a Nazi that she's killed and is currently chewing on his leg. It picks up where we left off. Joel, played by Timothy Oliphant, who can I just say is one of the funniest humans alive. He's in an insane asylum. Uh, Abby, played by actually Australian actress Liv Hewson, who's just great. She's on the hunt for bile to save her mum. And Eric is just generally being awesome. He is absolutely the standout of this season. He plays the teenage boy who kind of gets roped into helping the family. It's way funnier than the last season. There's not a bad gag or a wasted scene. It does take a while to warm up, but once the pace gets going, it's absolutely hilarious. And can I just say that Nathan Fillion, who played Gary in the first season, makes a comeback in season two. I'm not even going to tell you if you haven't seen it, how but if you have seen it then you'll you'll just uh, you'll have to agree with me that Gary is one of the standout performances in this season binge 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 this is such a good show great review now Gavin I believe you've seen Bad Banks on SBS On Demand I have well I've seen some of it so this is our hidden gem for the week one of those shows you may not have heard that much about possibly because this is a German show um so yes that that does mean subtitles although actually it's multilingual uh so it's about the banking industry (laughs) I know that sounds (laughs) boring riveting Gavin but don't don't be put off because you don't need to know anything about the world of finance it's actually about the rise of the main character Jana or Jana played by Paula Beer in a male-dominated dog-eat world. When we meet her, she's working in as assistant, the incompetent son of a board member at a Luxembourg-based financial institution. This sounds like a mega snore fest. <laughs> it's okay. She shows, she shows him up. She gets fired because she's really good and he's not and he's the son of the board member. It's about her struggle to find her way in the banking industry. So there's things like mergers and high-stakes deals, insider <laughs> trading. She wore, Her new boss is kind of a jerk. He's one of those guys who rides a bicycle around the office. He takes off his shirt in the office <laughs> to get changed. He's, he's, he's a real jerk. But it's really about her navigating this world and whether she can keep her moral compass while everyone's trying to get her to do dodgy deals and, and leak information. It's good. It is. It's good. It's good. And they dip in and out of English because it, it's, you know, it's in, it's an international show. They're doing deals with banks in New York and banks in Frankfurt and all that kind of stuff. And it's immoral and it's corrupt. And is it better than Billions? See, this is a thing. I haven't seen Billions, but oh. it is compared a lot to Billions. I don't love Billions, but I love Brody, the guy that from Homeland, I've forgotten his name, Damien. Damien Lewis, yes. Yeah, and I will watch it because of him. But This is this is compared to Billions um, and, and I guess it's, yeah, possibly the European version of, of Billions, having never seen Billions. But it is it is interesting. I know maybe my, maybe my description wasn't that exciting, <laughs> but it, it's not about numbers and figures oh, right, and, and deals. They happen. They happen in the background. It's about her you know, am I going to leak this information to my contact over at this bank and, and maybe get some money, make millions out of insider trading? Am I going to betray this person? And, you know, she's experienced what it's like to be screwed over very early on because the board member's son gets her sacked because she's too good. Yeah, She right. shows him up. And so it's her finding, okay, how do I succeed in this world when the guys are all jerks and I'm really smart? It just sounds like real life to me. (laughs) Brains aren't everything. So she's got to work out how to combine her brains with a bit of bit more savviness. All right. I think I might give that one a try. What do you think, Claire? Uh, That's a hard pass from me. (laughs) Brutal.
Wunschlist. Brought to you by Who Magazine. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello Fresh. 